0: If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who will share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Welcome back to the Fast Forward podcast. Winter has definitely set in here at UK Fast Campus. We are all wrapped up today. So I thought we could heat things up with a hot business topic. If you're running a business, chances are you're selling something, a product or a service. But are you maximizing your potential profit by selling effectively? By definition, selling is the art of matching product benefits with customers' needs or desires. My guest today has helped grow a business from a turnover of £2 million to £15 million. And she claims that she's never sold anything to anyone. In fact, she says throughout her career, people have bought from her. Carol Gillespie is founder and CEO of People Buy From People and the author of Flying Start, How to Make Your Own Luck at Work. She's here to tell us how to build fair, lasting and productive relationships and fundamentally how to make yourself the expert that people want to buy from. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Carol.
1: Hi Trish. Nice to be
0: here. So, I am super fascinated to find out a bit more and dive into your um your backstory and your career and how you've ended up um becoming this phenomenal businesswoman. Um so let's find out a bit a little bit about you. Let's um have a little look at your career and sort of overview to
1: how you ended up here today. Tell us about you. So starting out as a techie at heart, um, in my very first organisation that I worked with, which was a technology company, I had nothing to do with sales, no sales responsibility. But it always seemed to be the case that whichever clients I worked with, those clients bought more and more from my company And one day, the sales director took me to one side and said, Carol, you have nothing to do with sales, but you're probably the best salesperson in the company. And that set me on a journey over many, many years of trying to work out what it was that I was doing because I had no consciousness. I wasn't trying to sell anything, but people bought from me. Um, If I fast forward to now, that's at the heart of the... Book, the mm-hmm. relationship code, the yeah. six behaviours that mean that people want to buy from you. But it's taken me a long time to pull that together. So three phases to my career. One was working in the technology industry, uh, growing major relationships with big clients um, and mainly enabling those people to buy from us without having to do competitive tendering, which is always a great thing.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing
1: thing today. <laughs> Tenders are horrendous. Yeah. Um, then moving on after a number of years to um, a specialist change and program management company. And that's the one Tricia mentioned. I grew from 2 million to 15 million with virtually no sales resources. What we were doing was what I was doing was enabling the people who worked in the organization delivering change to identify opportunities, build the relationships that mean we bypassed most of the time the normal formal tendering processes. And then lastly, I left that to set up my own business, people buy from people. And what that's done is enable small to medium-sized organisations to really punch above their weight in terms of the clients they get, uh, the types of business and scale of business that they win and beat very significant, well-established competitors. Um, So it's been a fantastic career and the book is really my attempt to put down in writing what I've learned so that people I can't work with directly are able to take advantage of what it's taken me many, many years to put together.
0: Yeah, getting all that magic out of your head and getting it onto paper. Absolutely. Let's go back to that uh, change leadership um, company that you mentioned where you had that phenomenal growth. You know, obviously that was a huge um, achievement and you probably learned a lot through that process in terms of, because you had all gathered up that knowledge but you hadn't worked out how to communicate it and um, tell us about what you learned through the process of managing that business.
1: Um, I was sales and marketing director with the organisation. Which and, is hilarious for somebody who has no sales experience. For that. Um, so sales uh, marketing director and the reason that the founders brought me in was because they'd done very well getting the business going through people they knew. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an easy sell if people already trust you um, to get people to buy from you, but they're plateaued. And the issue was, how do we take what we've got out to people who don't know us, where fundamentally, if you're an unknown organisation, it's a huge risk to give you a big job and yeah. a big contract. Um, so the process that I architected which was where I was bringing together all the knowledge I'd gained previously, um, is a process whereby you don't go out to sell. You go out to have conversations with people where for a large part of it, you're simply trying to understand what matters to them. Mm. And the big word that comes out of this is relevance. If you can't find something that is really relevant to them, your product or your service, no matter how good it is, they're never going to buy it yeah. because they don't need it, which is stating the obvious. But so many people forget that. They feel that if they give you lots of information about how good they are and yeah. the stuff they've done, you must want to A buy. A feature dump or something. Yeah. That's right. Or even, it can be very interesting information, But unless you get to the point where they have told you that something is very important to them, and if you're a younger company, that you've built the relationship that means that they're willing to take a risk on you, Mm -hmm. and that's not just a corporate risk, it's a risk, a personal risk about being let down if they pick you and you go wrong, then you're very unlikely to get business.
0: And then you've gone on from that to, um, you know, obviously reaching those heights of success to find uh, the people buy from people and which is eight years old now. Yes, I can't believe it. It
1: feels like <laughs> about one or two.
0: And you now specialise in helping those businesses build those better relationships. So you've obviously seen quite a few businesses in your time, the good, the bad, the ugly. What are some of the um, key mistakes that people make when they're trying to build those, um,
1: you know, those business relationships? Okay. Um The first one is that they go and build relationships with wrong people, (laughs) Um, particularly if you've got a complex product. Um, Well, but generally, really, if you go in, it's quite easy to get conversations where you create interest. So if you have a technical product, if you go into the technical area, people will always be interested in what you're doing because it furthers their own knowledge, Mm. But they're unlikely to be the people who have the motivation, corporate and personal, to buy what you've got. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I've done with a lot of people is look at who they're having meetings with. And quite often we have to change that and and get organised to go and have conversations with much more senior people who've actually got the business problem yeah. and who have in their remit to make those changes and if they can make those changes they will personally be successful.
0: And what other mistakes do you see? I think the other one is that people talk too much. I would be definitely one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason I don't talk on this is because Sarah the producer
1: doesn't let me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, I find it quite unusual doing a lot of talking because it's when you're asking questions that you're in control. Mm. And questions are the things that reveal, um, as I was saying before, what matters to people. So learning to give a little bit of useful information, then stop and get feedback and delve into the questions. That is such a fundamental thing that if you can get that you will find that you have conversations rather than monologues. People will share a lot more with you. And I mentioned the word relevance before you get to relevance much more quickly. And then you've got a basis for either deciding there's no business to be done because your services aren't relevant, or you've got a basis for working out together what you're going to do.
0: And you also talk about credibility um, and how important that is. How do you Go about, or how do businesses go about um, building that credibility quickly, particularly if you are a startup and you don't have a track record to go by? That's a very
1: interesting question. Um, I'm going to assume that people have got the marketing side and they've got their websites and Mm -hmm. so on. Um, Let's think about this as personal credibility with the people you're talking about. Um, And there's a, I think, do as you would be done by. Being there and being helpful. Mm-hmm. So, once you've met somebody, don't pester them. But I would say be helpfully visible. Mm-hmm. So once you've taken the trouble to find out about somebody, actually, little things you can send them while there's not a reason to do business yep. will massively increase your uh, the degree to which you're remembered the degree to which you can establish your expertise in something. And when there is a chance to do something, you will still be front of mind and have that credibility. Yeah. On that.
0: Just kind of having that kind of sort of consistent presence. But it's a very fine line, isn't it, between pestering and being visibly helpful? It is.
1: Some people think that being visible means you have to keep meeting people. Yeah. That isn't true. You save your meetings for times when it's important to be face-to-face yeah. Um, but you can still be visible without face-to-face yeah. because a person's time is very very precious. Yeah well you think about yours. the
0: yeah the sale you know your sales funnel in terms of points of engagement if you see a useful article that you think somebody might benefit from or whether you've written a white paper yourself that you can share with them that it might also be relevant.
1: And that consistency is important so one of my techniques is I try and write a very helpful, short article on a business relationships topic every month. Yes, I see them. We share them on our our network for you. So they're posted on LinkedIn. I also have a list of people who have said to me, please, will you send it to me? Mm -hmm. So I send it along with another article on the theme of the month. And even if you're not meeting people, you've got your visibility and you're increasing your credibility. Yeah.
0: Now, one of the other techniques that you uh, teach people is how to, how for they can describe what they do in three or four sentences, which kind of like an elevator pitch, but you don't like using that term, do you? (laughs) No.
1: Um, Tell us about that. Okay. So if somebody says to you, what do you do? They're actually not asking you what do you do because they want to know what you do. There's actually a question behind the question, which is, what, if anything, can you do that's going to make me more successful, happy, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Um, now, that's quite difficult because you don't know, a, you, quite likely you don't know much about them. yeah. And you don't really want to start talking and give them the wrong picture of what you do. Now, our instinct is to give lots of information so mm-hmm. that hopefully they can pick up on what's relevant to them. But actually, what you have to do is to step into their head and it make it really easy for them and you to decide if there's something there that's worth talking about. So... A very little structure that's very helpful is to say, I enable X to do Y. So not I do something, but Mm -hmm. I enable somebody else to do something. And that matters because I might say, and I've got one, two of these, um, I enable people to build lasting, productive and fair relationships and do that in a way that they feel very comfortable with and their clients like and value. And that's important because it means you can do good business more easily and more often. Mm. Now, I've got into that quite a lot of different things. But if the person I'm talking to um, isn't interested in winning good business more easily, more often, they can say, oh, that's nothing to do with me. I'm Mm -hmm. a gardener, say. Yeah. and the idea of winning business without selling. Um, quite often, people who are non-salespeople have to win business. In fact, that's true for virtually every entrepreneur. That's Aren't we out all there.
0: salespeople, Carol? Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever stopped selling my whole life. That's right. You know, and you talk to some really high-value people, lawyers, accountants. They're still selling. They're still, you know, picking up clients and selling their services to you know, in terms of everything that we do. Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right there. And having done that, people will often respond. And if they don't, you do a for example. So, for example, I've worked with a data analytics company to take it from um, a startup to the point where it won its first absolutely major contract Mm -hmm. with one of the big banks against SAP and Oracle. Nice. Um, So... Immediately, you're painting a picture again, but you don't go any further than that. You actually then say, What about you? Or how relevant is that to you? Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? And then they start talking, you get into a conversation. Well, that's what I wanted to
0: ask you, you know, because you do talk about. Um, you know understanding the person that you're selling to what are those kind of key questions that we can ask you know very early in the conversation if if they're the one that has led us led us into it so if they've sort of prompted the tell me about you kind of thing um how can you get that turned on its head and ask those two or three key questions to find out what's relevant to them what's the magic the magic
1: um i'm going to talk in response to that just talk about types of questions generally and then we can take some examples so I think all of the audience here will have heard of open and closed questions Mm -hmm. so closed questions those that you can answer yes or no to brilliant for reaching a decision or making sure you've understood something absolutely terrible for getting a conversation (laughs) going absolutely awful but if you play a conversation with a friend you'll be amazed how often we ask close questions there are open questions these are the ones where um you can't answer yes or no to um, but when we're asking open questions we often lead the witness and we almost tell the person what the answer is mm. Um, so let me give you an example of the first two. I, I don't know who's a tennis fan out there, but Andy Murray, I might say to you, ah, oh, didn't Andy play badly the other day? Rubbish. Rubbish. Yes End or no. of conversation. Yeah. End of conversation. Or I might say, why was Andy Murray playing so badly the other day?
0: Now, yeah. Oh, because he did this he and that, that happened. There. And, you know, did you see that he had a wonky eye and whatever? That's but, not true. Andy Murray doesn't have
1: one case. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I have what I call ultra open questions. And there are ones that are don't lead the witness at all. And that actually take a lot of thought to formulate. They're ones where you ask the question, but the person listening doesn't know what you're expecting. So they have to choose how to answer it. So it might be, what did you think about Andy Murray's game the other day? Mm. Okay, because I think it's awesome and you can think it's rubbish. Yeah. Okay. And you go from there. Um, so it's very hard to formulate a very open question. But um, so, in a business context, you might say, So, what's happening in your business then? Nice. I like that one. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. It's going in the Trishy box. Okay. Price is another one. So, you're talking with somebody and you want, might want to find out about a, something to do with a contract. And you might say, Is price important to you? They're always going to say yes. Yeah. Or you might say, How important is price to you? That's already telling them that you're expecting it to be important and gives them a lead on mm-hmm. how they're going to respond. But if you say, How are you going to judge? to give this contract to. Yeah. You're you're always going to get back something that you don't know or get something you thought you know confirmed. Yeah. So you're ultra it's like testing assumptions, isn't it? It is absolutely. Um so killer questions um it will re- so tell me more. It's not a question. Mm. Um why do you say that? what about mm-hmm. um, those very open-ended ones that mean yeah. the other person has to talk, listen to what they say and then delve further and you'll find out a lot more. I like that, uh, how you can judge that con- the contract because
0: it takes the word price out of it completely. So actually it doesn't even, may, the price not may not even come into the answer. Yeah. Um, now, so your book was released a year ago, I have a copy of it. Flying Start, How to Make Your Own Luck at Work. And it's a practical guide to the relationship code, um, which you say can transform lives and careers. Um, Could you share some of the
1: tips from the book for us? Uh, I can. Um, There are six behaviours which are intuitively obvious but which are really hard to do because our natural instinct is to do the opposite on many of them. Um, one of them is ask and listen more and tell less. And that's what we've really been talking about quite a lot in our conversations so far. While you're talking, you're not learning. It might feel when you're applying that behavior that you're interrogating the person but it doesn't feel like that (laughs) it depends Um, it is the way you say it as well but actually it's about being interested in the other person Mm -hmm. and being interesting um so that's one of them and then the other one which is um their context not yours what does that mean so when we were talking about how to introduce yourself the answer to what do i do what Mm -hmm. do you do you need to answer it from the point of view of your answer being helpful to the other person being from their point of view rather than you giving lots and lots of information because that's what you want to do yeah it puts the two together
0: Nerves pays a part in that as well, doesn't
1: it? When you're just like, ah, blah, 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 blah. it does. Um, when I, if, if I'm asked the question myself of what do you do, it's so easy just to start talking. Um, and the problem with that is not only that you give too much information and it's hard for the person to distill what's relevant to them. But the brain is lazy, and it will often pick up on something, and they'll end up with the wrong picture of what you do. Mm-hmm. So, for me, if I happen to say speak too much, and I say words that make people think, "Oh, she's a trainer," that's I'm absolutely dead in the water for yeah. having the right subsequent conversation. Yeah, yeah.
0: And can you pick up on that? Like, um, what kind of? Facial indicators or are there any kind of um, prompts that people could take if you know that you've kind of gone down the wrong path and you might need to kind of kind of turn, do you turn? Um, it's hard, ask, isn't it?
1: Asking a question. So a good question when you've given a little bit of information to say, what picture have you got in your head now mm. about myself, my business, from what you've just heard? Yeah. And that's an open question. And if the person responds and they've got it wrong, you've got a chance to correct it. Yeah. So that's a very, very good question to have in your armoury there. That's a really good one. Yeah. Definitely going
0: into the as boxes. <laughs> <laughs> now, we like to um, end the podcast with some practical advice um, that entrepreneurs, uh, business owners can take away some key action points that they can go and implement and actually inject some rocket fuel into their businesses after listening to our conversation. So what would your sort of top tips be that people could start applying
1: today? Let's have a think about that. So the first thing would be don't concentrate on helping people to understand what you do. Help people by the questions you ask to see the relevance to them of what you do. And you do that by getting them to describe what's relevant. So think about that. Now, when I talk to students or sixth formers, I talk to them a lot about personal visibility because you're, if you're invisible, nobody can help you. And in a business world, nobody can buy from you. And I have a little mnemonic that I use with them. I tell them to behave like ducks. And they all look at me like I'm mad. (laughs) Um, What do ducks do? They quack. So to really get on, you have to be quackers. Let me tell you what that means. (laughs) So this is my tip to have at the back of your head the whole time. So quackers is Q, questions. Yeah. C is conversations. Questions lead to conversations conversations lead to relationships and in a business context it's also about reducing the risk of working with you and if you have those that leads to support sponsorship and sales nice quackers quackers
0: definitely i'm totally quackers Well, Carol, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation this morning and we hope that has helped um, entrepreneurs out there who are selling their products and services to stop selling and to learn the art of getting people to buy from them. And of course, sales mean turnover, which means a better night's sleep. Thank you.
1: Thank you.